Hi guys, this is In Bed with Omotayo, me. Welcome back into my bed. If this is your first time here, thank you so much for joining me on this platform. I like to talk from the heart, genuinely, about the real struggles that we face in life, either in relationships or in career, trying to figure out and navigate the complexities of interpersonal human relationships as well as dating relationships, and also trying to figure out career, purpose, and money, because it can be really confusing. And I do all that from the lens of faith, because I find that with all the many different options of philosophies, ideas, motivational speakers, frameworks, toolkits that we have, I find faith to be the one that is most consistent and cuts across all of them. So in the last episode, I shared why I am still single. And I wasn't quite sure what to follow up last week's conversation with. And so this week, I shared a live chat, a conversation between me and Tolu Falude, who is on Instagram at Fan the Flame. She's a Christian relationship counselor who speaks primarily to women and gives practical dating tips that are based on biblical principles. However, her approach is more, again, like I said, practical, more in touch with the real challenges that women face today. Now, she doesn't alter the Bible to suit society and culture. What she does is she studies the Bible and takes the principles and applies them to us in this society and uses that to guide women to date with a healthy mindset, an abundance mindset, not a scarcity mindset, to date with confidence, lead with value and not fear Many Christian women have had these kinds of conversations within their church communities and yet we find ourselves entering into relationships and getting hurt because we thought we did all the right things. What I really love about Tolu Falode's approach is she knows what it's like to think you're doing all the right things and to still make mistakes or to reframe that and not focus on the negative by calling them mistakes but to take those learnings and to find more effective ways to apply this living, breathing word to dating in a way that ensures that women hold on to their confidence, their sense of value, their sense of self-worth, rather than putting it all on the altar of marriage and then losing themselves in the process. So many women have been hurt by failed or failing relationships and they've been confused because they prayed, they fasted, they got visions, they got prophecies, and yet it didn't work out. Tulufalade's approach seems unconventional, but in the end, it touches the heart of the individual woman. And rather than seeking to find a template that works for all women, she's guiding women to find their own path and their own marital picture. Because you know, as women, we're all called to be wives, to be helpmates, to be equal partners that are suitable for a vision, a purpose that is primarily led by a man within the framework of a marriage and of a home. But not every godly woman is designed to be that suitable partner for every godly man. And so even within the church, even within faith, it's important for us to know ourselves, our strengths, our value. We need to love ourselves. We need to be kind to ourselves. We need to be confident in order to attract the people who actually need those gifts and values that we have. 
if we try to emulate someone else's gifts and values someone else's persona someone else's path we will be attracting people that are looking for someone else and so even if we're both tongue-speaking prophesying church-going ministry-doing individuals we might still not be a good match for each other now because that conversation happened on instagram the quality of the audio is not ideal and i was wondering whether or not you guys would want me to put that here but it might be a little bit frustrating because at least when you have the visual you can look out for visual cues of what the two of us are saying even when the audio cuts out but when it's just an audio podcast it might be more frustrating because you might not be able to hear clearly and so what i wanted to do instead was kind of have a little bit of a chit chat Now this reflective chat is actually inspired by one of the comments that I got on the video I posted on Saturday. If you're just listening to this for the first time, my YouTube channel is at heyomotayo. So youtube.com slash at heyomotayo. Or you can just search for in bed with omotayo. Now someone left a great comment. One of the points Tolu Faladi made was that God can speak through even our flesh. And this person said, where in the Bible does it say? that God speaks through our flesh. I was actually provoked to thought, but before I discuss the direction that my thoughts led me in, I just want to drop this in specifically about the conversation with Tolu Falode. Now, there is nowhere where she says that God is speaking through our sin. And I think that's what it sounds like when she uses the term speaking through flesh. The context is very clear. But what she meant was God speaks through our humanity as much as he speaks through our spiritual side. God speaks through our preferences as well as he speaks through our spiritual eyes and our Bible study. So it's not that God is speaking through sin. It's that God is speaking through our nature. Now that might not be the commenter's perspective. I don't want to be patronizing and so I'm not going to assume And again, I don't want to put words into Lufalode's mouth, but I just wanted to share that. Now, when I first saw the comment, instinctively, I wanted to say it was obvious. I was going to be quick to give an explanation, but I realized that whatever explanation I was immediately, instinctively starting to give was based on my personal experiences, which leads me to really what I would like to discuss in this episode. And again, it's a contemplation, it's a discussion. I absolutely have no prescriptions, but it led me to wonder again about how many times we use our experiences to say, because it happened to me in this way, because I have had these experiences, that therefore validates it. And that therefore means that I can say that someone else should have those experiences. Now I'm going to pause here and clarify. In the conversation with Tolu Falade, she actually is quite in-depth. She has so many platforms and in-depth Bible studies where she actually does bring out the biblical sources and backings for every single thing that she teaches. She has a YouTube channel of her own. She has a podcast. She has an Instagram platform where she shares so many resources. And I definitely believe that she's led by the Spirit of God into this ministry. However, the contemplation I would like to share today, the thoughts that I'm having today are more reflective. There are definitely times in the past where I have believed that God was speaking to me 
and I have believed that God was teaching me something based on the fact that I had had personal experiences with that thing. Now, this personal reflection has led me to realize if you use the wrong lens to dissect a problem or a situation or a challenge, then you will pick up the wrong lesson from that situation. So as usual, I'm going to use a very personal example. I share very openly about my single journey. Um, For about a year, it's been heavier for me to share. It's been more difficult for me to share. And that's because I've had a fresh disappointment within the last year that has caused me to go back on things that I, I believe. These experiences caused me to question the root, the foundation of my faith. Because when my faith was tested, I gave in very easily to these temptations. Now, I've shared a little about this already in the previous video, but this is a bit different. I found myself in a relationship that was undefined and not biblical. I was afraid that this was my only opportunity to find what felt like love. And I was also angry with God. And so in a way, I was rebelling. And so I kept saying to God, God, you know what you've done to me to get me to the point where I would even entertain this kind of relationship. And so I am defying you to bring someone good or then I'm going to go ahead with this one. Alongside that, I was also having dreams. Dreams are one of the many ways that God speaks to me. But the thing about dreams is they are encoded. They are symbolic. So if you have the wrong heart, the the wrong heart state, the wrong lens, you will interpret the symbols to mean the wrong thing. If you're in a place of faith, of trusting God, and of being open and flexible to take on whatever God is saying with quickness, without doubting it, then you're more likely to see with a clear heart and with clear eyes exactly what God is showing you in that dream. But if your heart is filled with fear, anger, resentment, bitterness, hurt, and pain, you will take that same dream And instead, you will be interpreting bitterness, anger, pain through it. In the seasons where my heart was trusting toward God and was loving toward God and was open and excited and eager to follow God's leading and to explore the new realms of intimacy and conversation that God was inviting me into, my dreams were wonderful, like special little messages that God would send me. I haven't always been in that heart state and so in this season in the past year I started to have dreams a lot of dreams and I interpreted the dreams to mean that I was allowed to break God's word there was a dream I had where I was pregnant and I had a child and I was happy that I had this child but then I found out that I was having this child for someone that I was not married to when I woke up I told myself that God was showing me that it was his will for me to have a child for this person. I actually allowed myself to look through the Bible and to look for situations where people have had children in unconventional ways, outside of wedlock, essentially. And I tried to use that to justify the fact that perhaps God was calling me to have this ministry. In fact, one just came to my mind right now, and that's Mary herself, the mother of Jesus. For context, This is me who has been intentionally seeking a deeper relationship with God for the better part of the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years. 
This is me who has grown in revelation and intimacy in signs and wonders in the spirit. This is still me who because of pain, disappointment, bitterness that I didn't realize was there, allowed myself to forget one of the most obvious, most widely known instructions in the Bible. are still listening this is just a reminder to please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to send me your comments your questions your contributions or any opinions that you'd like to share my email address is heyomotayo at gmail.com that's h-e-y-o-m-o-t-a-y-o at gmail.com you can also check out my instagram i'm also there at heyomotayo feel free to send me a dm say hello Okay, now I'm going to let you continue listening. Do not commit adultery. Do not commit fornication. I was willing to let that go and justify it by using examples from the Bible. The main example I used, my main inspiration, my main justification for this was Rahab. Now Rahab's story is in Genesis. She was originally the wife of one of Judah's sons but then the son died and then she was given as a wife to the second son and she was meant to sleep with him and get pregnant so that she could have a child for the son who had died but that second son didn't want to give her a child that wouldn't be his legally according to their culture and so we all know he was the first person to ejaculate outside of the woman because he didn't want to fertilize her seed or rather he didn't want his seed to fertilize her egg now judah knew that according to the law she essentially was meant to become the wife of his next son but because the first son died the second son who didn't want to get her pregnant also died because he was punished for what he did and so judah was scared that his last son would also die because of this woman and so he put her away sent her to her father's house and said he would call her when that son was of age and old enough to marry but when he was old enough to marry he didn't call her and so rahab got wind of that and realized that she had been wronged Because in those days, according to the culture, from what I've heard and learned from teachers and preachers of this story, her parents would not have, I guess, respected her because she wasn't meant to be there. And her husband's family that was supposed to protect her and keep her had put her out. So she was a nomad. She didn't belong anywhere. Now, in all of this, her saving grace was the child that she was meant to have for the first son who she was married to originally who died before she could have a child for him if she was able to be a mother then she would have some self-respect some value within the community and especially within her husband's home 
And so when she got wind of the fact that the third boy had indeed come of age and realized that Judah was keeping her away from him, she set a trap for Judah. Now, what did Rahab do? Rahab put off her widow's clothes because again, she was a widow twice now and put on the garment of a prostitute. And she went along the path where I can only assume prostitutes frequented. She knew that Judah was coming that way. So this was the equivalent of standing on the street in sexy clothes, trying to lure a customer. But she had one customer in mind. Judah came along and at this time, his wife had died and he saw Rahab on that road. He didn't recognize her because she was dressed as a prostitute. I want to imagine that maybe she wore a veil, you know, maybe he couldn't see her face. Maybe she puts on a lot of makeup and he slept with her. And when he was done, he didn't have any money to pay her. And so she asked him for his ring and his staff, I believe, as collateral. And because he thought he was going to be able to just go come back and give her the money, I think it was a goat he was meant to send to her. He was fine to do that, which, I mean, seems a bit silly. It's like somebody saying, give me your ID card or give me your passport as collateral for the money that you're going to give me. Like, You'd never give anyone your passport or your ID card, but he essentially did. And then she went away, obviously, took off her prostitute clothes because she wasn't a prostitute. She actually only targeted this one man, Judah, her father-in-law, and she went back to her father's house. So when he came back, I don't know if he sent someone or if he came back himself, but when he brought the, the payment, she wasn't there and he just forgot about it, right? random babe that he just slept with and that was that but it meant that he did not get his ring back a couple of months later it became obvious that she was pregnant and the law in that day demanded that you stone a woman who's caught in adultery and then because she was technically the property of judah's family judah was the one who was going to punish her for her indiscretion because by getting pregnant somewhere else outside of the family she had also brought shame to his family and then he came out and said who did you sleep with and she brought out the ring and the staff and said the person who owns these is the father of my child and he realized that he had been wrong because he should have given her to his third son because she didn't kill her previous husband so it wasn't her fault and so he took her back into the family he never slept with her again but he took care of her she had the baby and in the genealogy of jesus rahab is mentioned as being the mother of one of jesus's ancestors god wanted a child to come but not just that he wanted a child from the line of judah because he had other children from his wife because this is now his son's wife it almost seems like god specifically wanted rahab to be the mother of someone in judah's line that even till tomorrow it's written in jesus's genealogy that Rahab is the mother of one of Jesus's ancestors, according to the flesh. I told you guys that elaborate story in the Bible because it's a crazy story. But when I wanted to convince myself that God was encouraging me to have a baby with someone who was not going to marry me, that was the story I told myself. Again, it was rooted in pain. It was rooted in fear and it was rooted in bitterness. I believed it was unfair for God to have put me in several situations where it seemed like he was telling me who my husband was and to have both of them reject me and not just reject me from the start, but actually bond with me, have a relationship with me, get to know me, start to trust me, start to use words of commitment and then take them back. At the start of 2020, I was in a relationship with someone who previously didn't have such a deep relationship with God. I'd had a few dreams about him 
and God had confirmed some of the things that he was saying to me through the dream. And so I felt confident again that God was once again confirming that he was saying that this person was my husband. Even that phrasing actually has started to bug me a bit because I no longer think God was telling me that he was my husband. I now think that God was telling me that he could be in the sense that for anything to actually be established on earth, there has to be agreement. And it's more like God was pointing out to me, hey, this is someone. And God was also showing me to that person saying, hey, this is a nice girl. And we agreed to be together for a season, but we didn't continue to agree. And at some point he said to me, I feel so certain that God is saying that it's you. I just don't want you. And I don't know what that means. And it really hurt. Now, when I looked back at that situation months later, I realized that the hurt from that rejection combined with the hurt from the first rejection um, in 2017, even though I was continuing to pray, to read the Bible, to go to church, to do some form of ministry, I was really hurt. And I stopped believing that God had any plan to actually give me a husband. I stopped believing that happiness with someone who would love me was part of my path. I started to believe that God was going to use me to talk about singleness because I'm very open about it and I believe that by sharing my story it might liberate someone else but that he had no plans to actually give me a husband. And so when I got into this unbiblical situation where it seemed like someone needed me and wanted me I allowed myself to say, what if this is the closest I'm ever going to get to knowing what it feels like for someone to care about me? It's ironic because this person never chose me, let me know that they weren't interested in marrying me. But I still allowed myself to believe that perhaps God wanted a child through me. And if it happened with Rahab, then it could happen with me as well. I can imagine how many times this has happened to so many people in the world. I can't imagine how many other people have similar experiences where they have found situations in the Bible that justify the decisions that they're making. I can also imagine that there is someone out there who God is giving a word that's linked to Rahab's experience. I believe that God is able to actually replicate things that we see in the Bible, even the crazy ones. I wouldn't even be surprised if there are other people who have had immaculate conceptions in one way or the other. Not that they're birthing Jesus again, absolutely not. There's only one Jesus, there's only one God. But similar situations to let us know that God still does mighty things. He still does wondrous things. He still does things that confound the wisdom of the wise. But I believe that in those cases, God is the initiator. God is the one who puts it on our hearts. God is the one who works all things together for good. We cannot sit down in our own little spaces and build the stories for ourselves. If God is doing a mighty, wondrous thing that confounds wisdom, it will be him who's leading it, him who is working through it. He will not justify or validate our lusts, our fears, our bitterness, our hurt, our shame, and our pain by using the thing that he has spoken against to make us feel better about the decisions that we want to make. I was being led 
by fear. I wasn't being led by faith. Now it's interesting that this is what came up when I got that comment on my YouTube video. Because I know that I'm going to do another Bible study and explore the many different ways that God sends spiritual messages through the most unlikely channels, as well as many of the other ways that we're more familiar with. However, for the sake of the question that was posted, the comment about God speaking through flesh, I just want to remind us listening that the context of this conversation was about marriage. This is going to be a useful context for the rest of the conversation. Hey, if you're still listening, thank you so much. I just want to remind you to please rate or like this podcast, regardless of what platform you're listening on. I would really appreciate it. And oh, please share it with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Thank you. Now let's get back to the episode. Now God made all of us with individual talents, perspectives, likes, dislikes, desires, preferences. He knows what each person likes because as long as they're not the corrupted desires that we pick up in the world, those things were ordained by him. So he knows that one person is going to be drawn to music and someone else is going to be drawn to science. And someone else will be drawn to both music and science. One person might want to be an archaeologist and somebody else wants to be a doctor. He knows the preferences that he leads us in. It's important for us to be aware that there is a spiritual side to our callings. The Bible talks about people who were anointed for being able to build things and craft things. This is not anointed to cast out demons. This is not anointed to speak in tongues. This is anointed for a very physical craft. God can use very physical human experiences to guide us into the path that he ordained for us in the spirit. In this video, Tolu Falode talks about how it is important for us to know our likes and dislikes, to know our preferences, to know our values. Now it's important for us to separate our toxic desires from our godly desires, but desires still manifest in our human bodies and in our very human experiences. And so in dating relationships, it's important to us to be prayerful as we go through the process. But one of the signs that God will use to let us know if this is someone we can even have a potential to be with in marriage, because marriage requires such physical commitment, not just spiritual, not just mental in the mind and in our souls. It's important for us within marriage to also have that physical connection with someone else. The Bible says that a husband and wife, when they're married, the two will become one flesh. Marriage is spiritual, but the Bible says the two will become one flesh. The Bible also says, can two people walk together unless they agree? If they don't agree, they can't walk together because they're not going to the same destination. And if two people, a man and a woman, will come together to become one flesh, then in the dating process, it's important to have synergy in the flesh as well as in the spirit, as well as in the soul. That communion between a husband and a wife 
koinonia as people call it, happens in the spirit, happens mentally, happens emotionally. But the biggest way it happens, the most significant way that we see when it comes to the laws that God gives concerning purity, sexual purity, the biggest one that can only happen in marriage and not outside of marriage because outside of marriage it is a sin, is sexual intimacy. And as we all know, sexual intimacy is of the flesh. It is the flesh that is joined to the other flesh. So if God is trying to give you an instruction about maybe a work body, maybe a career path, he might focus his instructions to you on the mental or in the spiritual purpose of that path. If God is talking to you about a friend you need to have in a certain season, he might limit that to an emotional connection or an intellectual connection or a friendly feeling of familiarity. If God is leading you to find spiritual counsel, he might limit the way he will talk to you to spiritual messages, Bible verses, you know, feelings of angelic presence when you're around that person. But if God is going to talk to you about the person that you're going to be married with, as his word said, you're going to become one flesh with, then he's going to speak through your flesh as well because your connection as a husband and a wife transcends just the spiritual, transcends just the emotional, and also involves the flesh, the very physical, sexual expression of intimacy between a man and a woman. For sex to be so important to God that he limits its expression to the confines of marriage, then that same sex that looks so lewd and so carnal when it's outside of marriage, then becomes one of the most important elements within marriage. I say most important intentionally because again, you can have a spiritual connection with someone who isn't your spouse. You can have an emotional connection with someone who isn't your spouse. You can have an intellectual connection with someone who isn't your spouse. You can have a business partnership that's an excellent one with someone who isn't your spouse, but you can't have a sexual partnership with anyone else except your spouse. That almost means that that sexual connection is one of the most important parts of that relationship. And even for people who say that one of the primary purposes of marriage is not for our pleasure, but because God wants children, God wants to fill the earth and to multiply the earth. Even for people who say that the only way to actually have children and to bring new life into this world is through the act, the very physical act of sex. Now, how God uses the flesh to speak to you, how God directs your choice by using this element would be specific to different individuals. God is not going to tell you to test someone sexually because he also has words against that. There's no sex until marriage. Otherwise, it's adultery and fornication. But God will use your desire for a person, your compatibility with a person, your attraction with a person as one of the many different signs to point you to a direction to let you know if this person can even be considered as someone who will be required to be one with you in the flesh. That person would have to agree with you in the flesh. One of the key things that Tolufalodi shares in the video I posted, the conversation that we had, is that it is important to know how God speaks to you. It's important to pray through every stage of your dating, from meeting the person to going on dates, 
to developing that relationship further, it is important to be led by the Spirit. And God will not lead with sex. We know that. But to discount sex is to discount the importance of it in marriage, the sacredness of sex to marriage as the only thing that can make a man and a woman one flesh. Now, nowhere in this video did Tolu say that God is going to speak to you through sex. But she did say, look out for sexual attraction. We take it for granted that you will already look for emotional compatibility. We take it for granted that you will already look for having similar values, spiritually, having similar goals, because you need to know if you're going in the same direction. I'm taking it for granted that we already know that we should explore all those things. A lot of those elements are already covered in the way the church speaks about relationships when it comes to dating and marriage. But when it comes to sexual attraction, the church keeps silent on that. And that is one of the most important elements when it comes to biblical marriage. Marriages outside of the church are not the same because people test out their sexual compatibility outside of marriage. But within the church, because you're not doing any testing, you need to pay attention to how your flesh, your physical experience feels about the idea of even being one with this person. Tolu Faladeh also explains that sexual chemistry does not always develop immediately. So you need to give it time to develop, to see if it will develop. But it must develop before you get married. If it does not develop before the date you have set to be married, then it's not likely to develop after it. And I can say that confidently knowing that God also knows the dates that you set. When you and someone come together and decide to do something on a particular day, something that is as important to God as marriage, he knows the timeline he has to work with. But I also believe that even before he gets that far, God will speak to your heart and let you know that if you do not have this sexual compatibility, then this is perhaps someone who is amazing as maybe as a mentor, a friend, a Bible study partner, <laughs> a colleague, a brother or a sister in the church, but that person is not your spouse. Now I want to kind of touch quickly on my own situation with really adultery. I mean, Jesus said that once you commit adultery in your heart, you've as good as done it. It's not quite as bad, but you've kind of started the process mentally. And I wanted to touch on that because when it comes to my relationship with God and from the moment I decided to commit my dating relationship to God one of the biggest fears I had was that I wouldn't find sexual satisfaction in a godly husband I believed that if I went through God's way you know meeting someone in church having a spiritual connection then I won't have the opportunity to have a physical connection and that maybe I wouldn't be satisfied in my marriage and I'll just have to accept it because as long as we were compatible in the spirit, that was all that mattered to God. And so it's very important to see how those kinds of fears that linger can manifest in different ways, such as trying to take your own pleasure where you can find it because you don't trust God to provide it for you. I'm glad I started off wanting to share that. And I hope that for anyone who's listening, you can find a correlation between the two and you can have the freedom to know and to believe that God can send you a message about your husband, your wife, 
but also let your flesh and your physical desires be one of the signals and prompts that he would use to identify a potential spouse to you. When I realized what I had tried to do in my situation, I was very ashamed, but I was more afraid because I was like, if I, who is meant to know better, by virtue of the fact that I have the Holy Spirit in me, can this happen again? Can I be again in a situation where I'm so hurt that I allow myself to be tempted into sin, that I allow myself to be tempted to turn stone into bread just because I no longer believe that God is willing to give me bread. And I pray that for anyone listening, whether you fall into the situation where it's really bitterness that's leading you to believe that God is calling you to do whatever it is. I don't know, I pray that this just gives you a moment to just check again. Just check again. Just check again. It has taken me a long time to believe in that aspect of my life, that God is really good and that his plans for me are good and not evil to lead me to his expected end. My prayer point is, God, help me have your heart. Help me be flexible. Help my heart be softened. Help me not rely on my own wisdom. Help me not lean on my own understanding. Help me trust you and help me follow your path because you are the one who knows the way. You are the way. And as long as I continue to trust you and not trust my fears, you will lead me to your expected end and it will be beautiful. I couldn't pray this kind of prayer last year because I didn't believe it, but I believe it now. I'm still scared of what it's going to look like, but I believe it now. All right, guys, this has been one long, vulnerable chit chat. And so it's audio only. At least you can't see my face. I feel like there's a little bit of a shield (laughs) between you and I. But again, I really hope that this has encouraged you in some way to know that God really loves you. And God really did not just put that desire in your heart just to tease you. No, he's not a tease. There might be a longer period of time to work out what he needs to work out in you. Here's an analogy that might be helpful. All fruits are there for a reason. They're all to bring nourishment to humans, right? Or to animals. They're part of the ecosystem of life. And so they're very important to life. However, not all fruits ripen at the same time. Some fruits ripen in weeks, some in months, and some in years. The fruit that God wants us to bear might take longer to grow, to cultivate. And therefore, depending on the purpose that God has for your life, it might take a little longer for the fruit that he's developing in you to mature. And there's no point eating a fruit when it's not yet ripe. It'll actually make the person sick rather than adding nutrients. I don't know, it's just a more helpful way of seeing it that I've recently, very recently adopted. And I hope it encourages you. If you're still listening, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I appreciate you guys giving me your time, listening to me and allowing me to use you guys as therapy in a way. I really hope that it's encouraging you guys, empowering you guys, letting you guys know that we all have shame, we all have pain, but it's possible to one, use it, but most importantly, overcome it. What I found is that the best way to overcome pain is to go through it. You can't avoid it. It will come back. Bye.
packaged as a lie <laughs> like mine was all right guys before i start another thread of conversation thank you so much for listening thank you for climbing into bed with me and i'll see you again in bed next week bye god bless you Thank you.